0: Good morning. Happy last Sunday school of this session. So can you believe that we're already through 1 Peter and we're going to finish 2 Peter today. So we are going to try to cover chapters 2 and 3. So uh, we're going to kind of move quickly through this. There's going to be very, uh, very little that's going to directly come from the Sunday school book. There's going to be a couple of things that I'm going to pull from it but I kind of want to make sure we get through chapter 3 because that's kind of the chapter 3 is the point. So we're going to pull all of this together so we get there. So let me pray for us and then we'll get started. Father, thank you again for this opportunity to freely study your word uh, without fear of intimidation or threat um, to have a place that we can come to on a regular basis. Just to to fellowship, to congregate together, to to love on each other, and worship you in the process, Father. Um, help us to understand what you're wanting to say to us through the Book of Second Peter today. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, being the last Sunday school lesson for First and Second Peter, let's review before we get into the lesson. So, what was First Peter about? I want all seven points. No, I'm just kidding. What's the basic point of 1 Peter? Uh, The reward for your suffering. Okay, reward for your suffering. That's probably a good way to put it. The, The point is that you're going to suffer if you're truly a believer, and there's a purpose to your suffering, right? So then we get to 2 Peter. So. Peter's writing again to the people that he's written to before. He doesn't mention suffering this time. Where does he start? This was Gil's lesson. Where does he start? Right. First thing is to know your salvation. And what's to know? Say it again. Knowledge of Christ. Knowledge of Christ. Verses 12 through 15, he says like three different times, we need to be reminded. What are we being reminded about? What truth is. is? Where's is your faith come from? Verse 2. From God, right. The, the full knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So where's your faith? Where's your faith come from? Where's your salvation come from? It comes from God. Be reminded of that. Verses 12 to 15, Right. Um, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Uh, be diligent at any time after my departure that you'll be able to call these things to mind. So it's that reminder of your salvation, what it is. Okay? So know your salvation. Second thing, what do you need to know? Verses 12 to 21. Well, because of your faith, this is how you live, that kind of thing.
1: Brotherly, yes. Brotherly, Specifically,
0: verses 12 to 21, he's talking about what? The The scriptures. So we know the scriptures. You know your salvation. And because you know your salvation, you need to know the scriptures. And what are the two pieces? What are the two pieces of knowing the scriptures that help us to know that we have confidence to stand in the scriptures? First one was? The The eyewitnesses. The second one was verses 20 and 21. What? No private interpretation. interpretation. It comes from God, not from us. So we can have confidence in this because it's not a man-made idea that it's the thoughts and the intentions of what God wants for us. So know your salvation, number one. Number two, know the Scriptures. Why? Number three, chapter two. (coughs) Know your adversary. Know your adversary. So let's read chapter 2. We're going, to be a lot, we're going to do a lot of reading today because we have a lot to cover. So just stick with me. Chapter 2, but... Okay, that's important. Because you know your salvation, because you know what the scriptures say, but there's going to be something that's going to try to counter contradict that. But... False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. That's not a maybe. There will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. I'm going to stop there for a second. Two important things in that verse. Number one what's a false prophet anybody who teaches a false gospel anybody who teaches a false gospel okay in the verse it talks about destructive heresies what's a heresy a we've heard this word right a teaching that doesn't come from the word of god teaching that doesn't come from the word of god if you look at webster's 1828 dictionary it says that heresy is a teaching that is contrary to what is an orthodox christian doctrine which for us, our Orthodox Christian doctrines come from what God says, which is what Peter is saying, right? Because we just went through that at the end of first chapter one. So know your scriptures and anything that's contrary to that is a heresy. OK, so that's important to understand. You hear somebody teach. That's why Paul encouraged the uh, uh, praise the Bereans, because after he would teach, they would go look it up. After Steinberger teaches, you need to go look it up. After John teaches, you need to go look it up. And this is why. Verse 2, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. False teachers have one purpose. To malign the truth. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Why why does he say that? Think about our own world and the the false teachers and the the heretics and the heresies that are prevalent in our world, especially in the United States. Why does he say that? Their, their, Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. If your mindset is like mine, you're like, Lord, we know that they're teaching wrong, but they're prospering. What is going on? And he's reminding us, coming back to that remind, right? He's reminding us, their judgments, it's not idle, it's coming. And, God's time's and he comes to that at, in chapter 3, right? Because we don't understand time the way God understands time. We are in time, he is outside of time. So what seems to us to be a long time and it comes back to that verse in chapter 3, right? To the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. We do, he does not he does not deal with time the same way that we deal with time. So and when we feel like he's been a long time wait coming on this, to him uh, it's just a fraction of a second. So don't be discouraged. That their judgment hasn't arrived yet, it's coming. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, and now he gets into chapter 2, now he's just explaining how God has judged through the Old Testament history. For if God did not spare angels who sinned, but cast them into the pit and delivered them to chains of darkness, being kept for judgment. Stop there. Have all angels been thrown into the pit waiting for judgment? All fallen angels. All, all demons. All of Satan's minions. Have they been thrown into the pit and are they all waiting for judgment? No. There are plenty of them at work right now. Yes? So he's talking about a very specific group of angels here. That were judged early, not early. They were, they were dealt with early on. A lot of commentators point right to Genesis 6 for this. Verse 5, And he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought the, a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So now, Genesis 6. Now, Genesis 11. Pointing to the flood. Oh, and the time from Genesis 6 to Genesis 11, that's a considerable amount of time to us. But the ungodliness of the world was still judged. Verse 6. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes. You know that Sodom and Gomorrah, from an archaeological standpoint, have never been found? He has reduced them to ashes. Having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. Sodom and Gomorrah was meant as a sign for people who are coming after. A sign that people in the United States have forgotten about. But again, Sodom and Gomorrah came over 500 years after the flood. So for us, a long period of time. For God, a moment. And and if he rescued Lot, righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men... For by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Now, if you go back and read Genesis, Lot didn't appear to be a very righteous person. Uh, bickered uh, Bickered with his uncle. Lived in a very ungodly place. Right? Chose to live in an ungodly place. But what this is telling us is, even through all of those things that we would say, eh? Scripture says that he was righteous. That is a judicial statement. That's not a practical statement. So from Scripture's perspective, he was a believer, for, for lack of a better term. He, he was justified, just like Abraham was justified. And he repeats righteous in verse 7 and in verse 8 twice. Because I'm sure he's going, look at history. Yes, he was righteous. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who go after the flesh and its corrupt lusts and despise authority. That's interesting that he throws that in with the sensuality sins despising authority something we see very common today yes daring self-willed they do not tremble when they blaspheme glorious ones whereas angels who are greater in strength and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the lord but these like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed blaspheming where they have no knowledge Will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering unrighteousness as the wages of their unrighteousness. Considering it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. Sounds like the United States. Yes. Pam and I just spent two weekends ago. We were in Key West walking on Duval Street and it's reveling in the daytime there. They are stains and blemishes. This is important because when we get to chapter 3, verse 14, he contrasts the false teachers with the true believers. Because in 3.14, he says, Therefore, beloved, since you are looking for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, not stains and blemishes. So he contrasts the false teacher with the true believer. Having eyes full of adultery and unceasing sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, heart trained in greed. Not just a greedy heart, but they've trained their heart to be greedy. They are cursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own lawlessness, for a mute donkey speaking with the voice of a man. Restrained the madness of the prophet. The Bible calls that behavior madness. Insane. These are springs without water, misdriven driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been kept. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by sensual lusts of the flesh those who barely escape from the ones who conducted themselves in error. Promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if they are overcome, having both escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and having again been entangled in them, the last state has become worse than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, and to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. The message of the true proverb has happened to them. A dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. And then we get to chapter three. He spends the entire chapter two describing false prophets. What doesn't he do? He describes them. First thing we needed to know is to to know our salvation. The second thing we need to know is to know our scriptures. Third thing we need to know is know our adversaries. But what are we told? What does he not talk about? How how we interact with our adversaries. So if you just bear with me, Deuteronomy 13. And these were things that were linked in the the, uh, Sunday school book. I'm not going to read the entire chapter because he in the Sunday school book, he quotes the entire chapter. But there's a couple of verses I want you to pick up on here. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder comes true. Remember, back in the Old Testament. One of the ways to determine if a prophet was truly a prophet was whether their, what they prophesied came true or not. But he says they've prophesied and it comes true. But what did they prophesy about? Let us walk after other gods whom you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Now, this is important for Yahweh, your God, is testing you to find out if you love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul. Sometimes the false prophets prophecies come true just to see if you truly love God or not. You shall walk after Yahweh, your God, and fear him. You shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. Cling to him. In those moments, you need to cling to him. But that prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Okay, Old Testament dealt with things very differently than we do in the New Testament, right? We're not called to go out and assassinate everybody that we think is a false prophet. Okay, but God was setting up his, 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 his kingdom with his people, and he wanted them to be pure. And in Deuteronomy, he's telling them, if they are teaching you to go to another god, you kill them. Okay, that's how serious this is. But this is the next piece that's important for us to remember, especially when we have family members who teach wrong things. If your brother, your mother's son, or your son, or your daughter, or the wife you cherish, or, or your friend who is as your own soul, entices you secretly saying, let us go do these things. Verse 8. You shall not be willing to accept him or listen to him. Your eye will not pity him, and you will not spare him or conceal him. These aren't the people out and about. These are the people that we live with day in and day out. They get the same, you shall surely kill him. Same consequences, those who are not part of your family who are doing the same thing. That's how serious this is. He jumps to Jeremiah 23 and I'm not going to go there, but it's interesting in Jeremiah 23, he references Sodom and Gomorrah, which is what Peter also referenced in chapter 2, right? Ezekiel 13, he says that we are to call them out. So what's the point of knowing your adversary? Let's come back to... Uh, I want you to get turned to Ephesians 4:14. 4, Jumping all the way back to the end. What's the point of knowing your salvation and knowing your scriptures and knowing your adversaries, Ephesians 4:14. 4, so that we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful speech, deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into all aspects of him who is the head, even Christ. You cannot grow up if you listen to the adversary. And if we jump back to 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, which we've already studied. He references something that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. As obedient children, not being conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. Ephesians chapter 2 says the same thing, but from Paul. So the things that they're asking you to do are things that are wanting to go back to how you did things before. So that brings us to kind of this place in Second Peter chapter 2. So, and this is the question in the book that I really like because it hits us where we are. Some say that we should live and let live, that it's arrogant and sometimes and even wrong to question the sincere beliefs of others. I've heard that specific statement almost word for word from people. I have family members who are living in the Transgender LGBTQ lifestyle. And that is the exact statement that my family members have said to me. How do you respond? What does Peter say to that? Does Peter say anything about that? We read the entire chapter, entirety of chapter two. Does he say anything about how we respond to them? Unless you're reading a different version that I'm, I've read, he, Peter doesn't say much about how we respond to that. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 19. Well, for us, and then this is going back to the Lord's Supper. Okay, it's the reading on the Lord's Supple. But why do we see these things happening in our church? Why do we see false teachers? Why do we see, because God, Christ himself said that there, there will be tares among the wheat, right? Why do we see these things happening? Well, what does he say at verse 19? Uh, for in the, oh, look at verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And I believe it in part. Why? For there must be factions among you. There must be. There must be factions among you. Why? So that those who are approved become evident to you. So what's, the, what's, the, what's one purpose for false prophets and, and heretics in the church? So we know who's real. But that requires something, doesn't it? it requires you to know your salvation and to know your scriptures. Because if you don't know either one of those, you're not going to know who's real and who's false. Second Thessalonians, Chapter Three, verses fourteen and fifteen. And if anyone does not obey our word in this letter, take special note of that person. To not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy. But admonish him as a brother. Remember, Peter is talking to the church. So we, he's talking to people that are teaching these things inside of our church. We are to confront the people that are teaching these things inside of our church. Yes. Okay. It's what he says. But do it as a brother. Okay? Now, this doesn't connect to my nephew. Because my nephew is not in my church. But it's difficult because he claims to be a Christian. Titus 3, and again, we're still talking about what's going on in the church. That's where Peter's Peter's focus is, is the church. 3, 9 to 11. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and conflicts about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Remember, we're talking about the church, right? Reject a factious man, somebody who likes to, to stir stuff up. After a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, Being self-condemned. So Peter doesn't talk about it, but Paul talks about it in Titus, in 2 Thessalonians, in 1 Corinthians. How we deal with people in the church, in our church, that are teaching these things. So we have to remember that. Chapter 3. And we're going to quickly move through chapter 3 here. So we know our salvation. We know our scriptures. We know our adversaries for what purpose? Well, we have to know what prophecy is, the prophecies that have been given to us. Chapter 3 talks about the prophecy, but I want you to get the big picture here. Let's read uh, the first 13 verses, and then I want to talk a little bit about that. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Here's that reminder again. That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. That's the Old Testament. And the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. That's the New Testament. Knowing this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. And saying, what, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. So, knowing what the Old Testament has taught us. Knowing what the New Testament has taught us. That's verse 2, right? Or verse 1 and 2. Knowing what the Old Testament has taught. Knowing what the New Testament has taught. Knowing your scriptures, right? Your adversaries will come and say... First of all, they're going to mock you. Uh, I've been listening to some podcasts or some clips of podcasts done by people that I don't agree with um, on some issues that are very specific to the to the Baptist, to, to the Southern Baptist Convention. And the thing that I find interesting is the way that they mock their opponent. I don't think that's a coincidence. They don't deal with the scriptures on this. They mock their opponent. That should tell you something. Mockers will come in the last days, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of this coming? Now, this is important because what did this is talking about the day of the Lord? We get into the rest of this part of the chapter. It's talking about the day of the Lord. That's, that, that's future, right? For Peter, what he's talking about, that's future. But now they're saying that probably the, the, the false teachers are saying, well, he said he was coming back. He hasn't come back yet, therefore he's not coming back. It, it continues on just like it's always continued on. Now, in the current world, in our current world, that same argument is used in this, mo- this way, and, and, and you guys know my science. I love science, in, and at some point, it had to come back to this, right? I'm going to bring science into this. What's the, the, the big overarching topic in the science world that, contrary to what the Bible teaches, evolution, right? It takes millions and millions and millions of years for all of these things to take place, and it's, they call it uniformitarianism. Um, What happened today is the same thing that happened yesterday and at the same speed, at the same pace, same thing that happened 10 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, a million years ago. And it's over that long period of time that these these things happen, and things never change. Sounds very familiar to this, doesn't it? Where is the promise of his coming? So he promised he would come. He hasn't come yet. Therefore, it's all just going to continue just like it's always continued. Okay. Do you see the connection here? Okay. Now, verse five, this is important. When they maintain this, it escapes their notice that the word of God, that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed being deluged with water. This is, this is from a, a, a biblical creationist perspective. This is a death nail to long-term geology because they want to say that, that the, the Grand Canyon was formed over millions and millions of years because that's just the slow process that it's always taken. But it says you've forgotten about the flood. You've forgotten about the flood where things happen very quickly. And a lot of the things that history has shown, Mount St. Helens, that things that we thought took millions of years as a society can take Six hours to complete. So you're saying because things haven't seemed to be continuing on in the same pace that they've always continued, that what has been predicted won't happen. And Peter is saying, remember that because by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. And here's that verse we alluded to earlier, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. That That is not a, that is not a gateway verse to, to evolution in millions of years, okay? That's saying that God's time is different from our time, which we talked about earlier, right? But this is the key, the Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some consider slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. John 3:16, for God so loved the world. His desire is that the entire world be saved. And his patience and not coming. Because when he comes, what happens? Verse 7 destruction the world is destroyed and the ungodly are punished his patience doesn't mean he's not paying attention his patience means he is long suffering he is waiting for you verse 10 to 13 are some of my some of my favorite verses but the day of the lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away will come like a thief what what does that mean You ever know that a thief is coming when he comes to your house? You you know when he's going to be there? No. You don't know he's coming. You don't know when he's coming. You don't know how he's coming. And when he does come, it's usually a surprise. That's important, right? The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be found out. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? I'm going to stop there. Nope, not going to stop there. Looking for and hastening the coming day of the Lord, because of which in the heavens, the heavens will be burned with burning. The heavens burning will be destroyed and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. The Bible is not a science textbook. Do you agree with me? which if you're a teacher, you know, that's a good thing because textbooks change year after year after year after year. God's word never changes, right? But where God speaks about science, you can trust it. Now get this. Uh, physics, um, Hunter, you can correct me on this if, if I'm wrong on this. Uh, physics has, the, the, the science of the physics that we understand today has not been around a long time. To get into atoms and quarks and 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 all the little pieces that make up the atoms has not been around a long time. Um, But 2 Peter was written over 2,000 years ago, or 1,900 years ago. Okay, but this is the point I'm trying to make. This, people would have scoffed at this, going back to the mockers, right? What do you mean that that the heavens are going to pass away with a roar and elements are going to be destroyed with intensity? Well, if you... If you studied your, if you were paying attention in sixth grade, when they taught sixth grade science, and they taught you about atoms, protons, neutrons, and electrons, right? Now, all of those pieces are made up of smaller pieces, and we can get into that. But when you get down to the basics, it's like this. In the nucleus of the atom, you have protons and neutrons, right? Protons positively charged, neutrons don't have a charge. And they're, they're compressed together at the center of every single atom. The chair you're sitting on, every hair follicle you have, the things that you drink, the things you eat, the air that we breathe, everything is made up of atoms that have these pieces. The electrons are negative and they're flying around uh, a long ways away, relatively speaking. Okay? Well, when you take two magnets and two positives and you stick them together, what do they want to do? Push apart. Right? Well, if you've got all these protons that have the same charge pushed together, but they're not pushing themselves apart, but they want to. How are they held together? Okay? Scripture says God holds everything together in his hand. You know what scientists call that? Nuclear glue. Because they can't explain it. Okay? And when God lets go, those atoms, the center of the atoms, those protons are going to blast themselves apart. What happens in a nuclear explosion? You guys have all seen the videos and the pictures, right? Intense heat. When the explosion happens, there's a there's a blast of wind that goes out and then back up. Here. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be, and mine says found out, but the Greek word means taken apart. So before all of this was known. He had it written down. That's what's coming. It's a promise. Right? Verse 7. It's a promise. Okay? Now this is why. Therefore, beloved, because of all of this, and since you are looking for these things, we should be looking for these things. Be diligent to be found by him in peace. Spotless, and blameless. And consider the patience of our Lord as salvation. Now he's going to do an aside here, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. So he's saying, Paul and I agree on this. And in all his letters, speaking on them of them and all these things in which some things are hard to understand he's admitting that paul is sometimes hard to understand which the untaught and the unstable distort he ties it right back to those adversaries right you therefore beloved grace are you hearing me you therefore beloved knowing this beforehand be on your guard lest you being carried away by the heirs of principled men fall from your own steadfastness. It's interesting that Peter here sounds very similar to John in 1 John 5, 14, where he says, beloved, beloved children, guard yourself from idols. That's how he ends the book. That's how Peter ends the book. Know this beforehand. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory. Why? To Him be the glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your book of... Second, the second book of chapter, Peter that you've given us, Lord. Thank you for reminding us of our salvation. Thank you for reminding us of your given scriptures to us and reminding us that there will be adversaries. And the goal of adversaries is is to show those that truly are yours. Father, more than anything, help us to be on our guard. Help us to look forward to your coming. And help us to give you glory as we move through each day. In Jesus' name, amen.